0: Hey y'all, welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie, that's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about a badass human who also happened to do science. But was it good science? Hard to say because it's time for our BS episode that we do each season. And normally when we start down a path with whomever we're focusing on, it takes us in unexpected directions, so we're we're anticipating when we start out with our BS journey that we're gonna get a result we don't necessarily expect. But I think this one was a real surprise. This one for me was a real surprise—the direction that it took. Because, like when we get to our last segment, I think you'll agree that the the BS here is not initially what you would expect. Is that yeah? Say mm-hmm. yeah, I think so too. Because again, mostly, and we'll we'll mention this when both of us talk about this guy. We usually talk about horrible human beings doing really bad science, and I don't think that's what we're going to get today, which is a nice mm-hmm. change, but there is still some BS, so we'll we'll get into it. First, let's deal with our weekly business. Wherever you listen, please rate, review, subscribe, favorite, follow us, so that you not only get notified when we have new content that comes out, but it helps other people to find us. If you need to tell us something, you can contact us uh, at our Gmail at... BA in science at gmail.com. You also can find us on Facebook and Instagram at BA in science. And if you really love everything that you hear on this feed, you can go over to our Patreon where there's bonus content, bonus episodes. You can also listen to these episodes early and ad free and all that good stuff. We're an absolute bargain. Treat yourself right now. Okay. Any addendums this week before we get started? I don't think I have
1: any. I mean, probably I do, but by the time we've gotten to this point, I've forgotten them if I have. So, sorry.
0: That's okay. I have three. Okay. Ashley S. guessed, again, but she is not right. But she likes the rabbit holes that we're sending her down. Also, she sent us several hilariously adorable pictures of teeth wearing sweaters, Hmm. and they were fabulous. Did anybody else submit any teeth with sweaters?
1: Moms were wearing cardigans. Oh yeah, they would. Yeah, I like it. Legit, I love that. Is that
0: for them, like a twin set is what I. That's what they're like. Maybe with waspy. pearls. Yeah, very waspy. Tea <laughs> is what mom was picturing. I think I don't know. Um, perfect. So that was one thing, and then Ashley has also sent me a thing about. A, there's a new book called Hetty Lamar's Double Life. Ooh. One legend and brilliant inventor, and it's amazing. And I, it's not one that I came across when we were researching, so I really do think it is new. But it looks, mm. uh, it's a kid-friendly kind of book, mm. so I highly recommend putting that on your to, uh, to your TBR, if you your to be read list, if you have, okay. one. and if you don't put it on there anyway, <laughs> then start one and put that on there first, then. The last thing I have to discuss is do you remember when I was telling you all last week about what was in a very early form of toothpaste?
1: Mm-hmm. And there were
0: some really questionable and ridiculous ingredients. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of them was dragon's blood. Mm-hmm. And we wondered like, obviously, it's probably not an actual dragon. Was it a lizard? What? Mm -hmm. What we didn't know what it was. Leslie, one of our listeners, sent me a thing about how dragon's blood is sap from the sangre de grado tree that grows in the Amazon region of South America. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the bark and the sap are used to make medicine.
1: Interesting.
0: So yeah, sangre de grado is Spanish for blood of the dragon. And there is Spanish explorers saw that as he was exploring he saw that tribes where he was wandering through were using it and they use it to help stop bleeding heal wounds and treat intestinal problems Hmm. yeah and uh, preparations made from dragon's blood are found in pharmaceutical products and some of them are patented wow yeah so It has a wound healing, like an anti-inflammatory and wound healing effect. And some people say that it's antiviral as well, but that's a lot harder to prove, obviously, Mm because viruses are weird. But they also say that it's beneficial for stomach ulcers, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease, which if you listen to the bonus episode that is coming out with this episode this week, you can hear more about stomach ulcers and how to really deal with the cause of those Mm -hmm. so definitely recommend listening to that but that is our update on dragon's blood so it is not actual dragon or lizard it is in no way related to reptiles Mm -hmm. it's the name from a tree okay and sap
1: it's less exciting
0: it is it's a lot less interesting than actual. Like, if there was lizard blood in it, that's weird and gross, and so that's something. <laughs> but,
1: but you know, but this, I mean, also tricep in your on your teeth is also kind of weird and gross.
0: It does feel weird, but remember, the whole thing was like pulverized into powder, and then yeah. you know, so you know, but but now, dragon's blood is not the weirdest thing that was in there, considering some yeah. of the other stuff. True. So anyway, so that's my update. Um, so please keep sending us fun info, guys. We love it and we will definitely mm-hmm. share it with all of you. Yeah. But that's all I've got. Do you have anything this week or are you ready to take a break and get started? think I'm ready to get started. All right. Break time. So I've got a good bio for you this week. I think a little bit of drama in the form of a family feud, uh, a little bit of ridiculousness in the form of a king who was removed from power. So that's fun. And I know Brenna will have both drama and ridiculousness but for now do you have a quote i do
1: even if i had deceived myself and the experiment endangered my life i would have looked death quietly in the eye for mine would have been no foolish or cowardly suicide i would have died in the service of science like a soldier on the field of honor health and life are very great earthly goods but not the highest for man man if he will rise above the animals, must sacrifice both life and health for the higher ideals.
0: That is the most metal quote <laughs> that you have ever had for a B.A. That is a B.A. quote right there. No, right. It's like, yeah, I might die, but you know what? For science. For science, which so makes me better it. than yeah. anyone else. Wow. <laughs> that's thrilling. So who said it? Who's our guy?
1: our guy today is max pettenkoffer max
0: pettenkoffer and as always happens with our bs episodes because this is bs week don't forget Mm -hmm. we never know until we're writing them and talking to each other and and you guys you know our listeners about them just what the bs actually is like most of our bs episodes have human beings who were awful and did questionable at best science I think today is going to be different. I hope it is because Max Pettenkofer wasn't a bad guy doing bad science. He was a good scientist who I think was doing his best with the information he had and that he thought was important. Uh, he yeah, turned we'll out to be a lot about that. Yeah, cool. Because he... I think he turned out to be super wrong about some pretty big stuff, but he might survive the episode without being labeled a BS person. I mean,
1: as far as it goes on my end, like I don't, I don't have anything that is like, oh man, this guy's the worst. Like we won't
0: be using the word goblin with him today. You know what I mean? Like exactly, I will not be using that word either. (laughs) So I think that I think that our BS episode might actually just be unique from our other ones. But again, they're all they all take us in a direction we never expect. Yeah. Okay. Max Joseph Pettenkoffer was born on December 13, 1818 in Lichtenheim in Bavaria. Now that's one of the rare cities that actually still exists today, although thanks to things like the 30 Years War, it looks a lot different than its original form. Max came from a big family. He was one of eight kids and his dad had a hard time providing for the family, understandably. Luckily, Max had an uncle, Uncle Franz, who took an interest in him
1: but not like a i'm going to kidnap you from your parents kind of interest like tico brahe's uncle
0: no there's okay. less kidnapping
1: okay. here
0: than okay, good. than tico yeah Fantastic. he was yeah this this was more this was less of a felony okay <laughs> yeah yeah so um uncle franz was actually a well-known chemist and the court apothecary ooh yes so when max was 9 he went to live with Uncle Franz and became his apprentice. He was trained from an early age to pay attention to minute detail and to think critically about any given problem or observation or whatever. While apprentice to Uncle Franz, Max went to school and finished his courses with distinction in 1837. I don't know what distinction means, like like honors or magna cum laude. I don't know, but like he was like doing really well. He immediately went to the University of Munich and was going to study philology. I would like to take a quick detour into philology real quick. Brenna, do you know what philology is?
1: It's it's not stamp collecting, but that's what's in my brain right now.
0: I like <laughs> that you said that you know it's not that because you could not possibly be further from what it actually is. So, But great. stamp
1: collecting, this the name is close to that, isn't it?
0: I don't ever remember the name of stamp collecting. I only remember the name of coin collecting, which is numismatists. If you're a numismatist, you collect coins.
1: We're Googling because I just
0: feel like... Now I kind of want to know what stamp collecting is. Philatelist?
1: Oh, okay. A philatelist is someone who collects or studies postage stamps. What did you call yours? What is Philology. What
0: is a philologist. Phil- okay.
1: But like, right, I'm like in the yes. ballpark, so I'm not insane. No, you're not. It's very close. That's. Very close. I also want bonus points from dad for knowing that I was like in that sound family of Phil something.
0: But anyway, I feel like you do get points for that. Okay. So you don't know what philology is as I'm talking. No, about.
1: I absolutely do not.
0: <laughs> okay, perfect. So I or I do, had... but I don't know that it's called that. I don't know. Uh, you, you do, but you don't know that it's called that because it was the same for me. I had to study it for a class that I taught on Tolkien because Tolkien, J-R-R, Tolkien, Mm -hmm. the Tolkien, was a philologist. Um, But that word has a lot of meanings. In Max's time, philology was basically the OG humanities. It was history, literature, and languages all rolled into one.
1: Oh, okay.
0: In the 1800s, when Max was at university, philology had three main areas, uh, areas of research. You had textual philology where you would study like classical and biblical writing. You've got theories of the origin and nature of language and comparative structure of the change of language over time. To do all of that stuff, you'd study history and languages and and anthropology and linguistics and other stuff like that. So Max liked chemistry and science, but he was going to school for philology because nobody did philology better than Germany. That was where this discipline originated and they did it the best but brenna i think you will identify with this as much as he liked the humanities he couldn't escape the fact that there was just something about chemistry that he couldn't turn his back on hmm does sound familiar it does sound familiar so he essentially switched majors and went down the chemistry track instead of theology mm-hmm.
1: it's like somebody who goes to school to be a history major and then calls their parents to tell them that she's switching to
0: chemistry in their freshman year. Which, you know, if you know anybody like that and it happened to be your daughter and it stressed you out, maybe now would be a time to apologize. I'm to pretty sure the sentence was uttered. I'm showing up for your graduation in whatever year it was. I uh, hope you're there. I'm pretty sure is a sentence that I heard. That sounds about right. And you know what, to be fair, that probably was was rather motivating, I would think.
1: I did. I got there, didn't you I? You
0: sure you sure were there. We were all there at the same time for that graduation. So <laughs> So and Max graduated too, but okay. Lest you think that he gave up the artistic side of himself. I found something to indicate that Max was always an artist at heart. Between 1844 and 1845, he wrote a cycle of 16 chemical sonnets and published them. 1886 yep sonnets about chemistry friends i mean look i'm a nerd don't get me
1: wrong but like (laughs) i i'm curious
0: oh of course i had to find them and the internet did not disappoint i found an i found an article written by some portuguese guys who i've gotten my sources and they took max's sonnets and translated them from german into portuguese oh great now Hold on, I speak a little German and no Portuguese, but once again, Google Translate comes to the rescue. I translated both, I spent a ridiculous amount of time on this, I translated both the German and Portuguese into English and kind of averaged them linguistically okay. to get a good approximation on his first sonnet in the series. I couldn't do it for all 16 because it would have taken forever. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read the English version to you. Oh gosh. And then I'll kind of tell you what he's talking about in case it's not obvious. Um, I translated all of that too. I spent, again, I spent a ridiculous amount of time on this. We're I'm embarrassed
1: I- for him before you even read this. I'm this like is like already less-
0: cringing. Okay. It's way less cringy than I thought. I, cause I was like, Ooh, I'm going to cringe hard about this. No, okay. it-, it was, oh my gosh. It's so good. Okay. So his okay. first one is called the history of chemistry. Okay. To a dark dungeon, you have been expelled. As soon as you have contemplated the light of the world the Pope's spell and the interdict for all who let themselves be met at your place, although you knew how to unlock the bars, clever through many a secretive art. Then you found it trapped in other people's work and should pour medicines together to make drugs. Only when your self-awareness brightly glowed have you ignited the sovereign wrath. You have won the throne that was your inheritance. Those who persecute you, despise you, and misjudge you have all come like Joseph's brothers now and beg for fruits from the land of Egypt. That now, to be fair, that is a. I'm sure it sounds better in German. It sounds so much better in German. If you read it in the original German, it like, it's, it's flows like a sonnet should. It's difficult to do that into English, English. But let me tell you kind of what, what that means. And there might be some things that you recognized because as I was reading the translation, I was able to pick out like, oh, I understand what that reference is. And oh, it must be talking about this. And I was right. So he starts out talking about alchemy and the search for the Philosopher's Stone. And then that turned into making medicines. And then he talks about phlogiston, and he alludes to the fact that practical chemistry was forbidden at monasteries by Pope John Twelfth. But then with people like Lavoisier bringing chemistry to the front, everybody who shunned chemistry has come begging for it to explain the mysteries of the world. This is pretty deep stuff, in my opinion. Uh- yeah it's interesting it's interesting and there I I, like I really wish that I would have had time to translate the other 15 but I didn't it it would it it took me hours to do that translation I just feel like maybe there's a
1: reason why no one in their lifetime has gone like you know what I should spend my time translating
0: some chemistry sonnets I think that there is a grad student out there possibly listening to this right now who's saying oh my gosh I know what I'm doing for my senior capstone project or whatever you know I'm telling you go find what you're telling me
1: is I need to go find a German professor at my school and be like hey let's recruit an undergrad to do an interdisciplinary research project and translate all
0: these chemistry sonnets that is literally music to my ears yes Mm -hmm. and publish them because these this the journal that this was published in these got this was on a like a peer-reviewed journal oh my something. gosh it was, it was like this whole big i had to like sign up for a trial and go past a paywall to get it but i really wanted these so i did it and that's know? like that's it
1: they just just only these two guys in portugal decided to translate from german to portuguese
0: I well so they wrote their paper their was portuguese the in this in the context authors. of These sonnets were important to chemistry for the following reasons, and to Max's legacy or something. I don't know. Again, don't read these sonnets that nobody can read because they're in German. Well, I mean, no one's bothered to translate
1: what Germans can read them. Okay. Well, I didn't know that
0: Germans were the only ones that needed important science. They're not. I think we have shown that that's true, but I don't know what the, I don't know, because I, when I read the abstract, again, mm. that was in Portuguese and something yeah, kind of gets well, lost when you're translating, yeah. you know what I mean? So okay. anyway, yes, someone needs to translate them into English because it would be totally okay. worth it. Because okay. what you do is you do the full translation into English and then you, and you rope in someone who is in Eng, an English composition major and you have them actually make it a sonnet in English. Mm. That's how you like the trifecta there. Okay. Anyway, okay. Back to Max's story. He was doing well, going to school, living with his uncle until he and Uncle Franz had a falling out. I couldn't find what it was over specifically, but based on what I did find, Uncle Franz was strict and demanding, and Max went through a rebellious phase where he didn't want to live the way Uncle Franz wanted him to. But Max was only 20 and he had no money. And no connections, since he burnt that bridge with Uncle Franz. So Max, therefore, did the only thing he could do, which was he became an actor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Go well, on. I mean, your rich uncle kicked you out, so you don't really have a job. You can't go back to your family because they're Pavos, and you don't want to be a Pavo. So you go on stage. Mm, okay. Okay. So again, we're seeing his love for the arts. Now, according to one source, he got very positive reviews for his histrionic abilities. Uh, mm. According to one source, uh, another source, his reviews were not great. So mixed mm. reviews is mm. all I can say about Max's mm. career treading the boards. Uh huh. Um, but his, and his uncle sent people to tell him to come back. Stop throwing a tantrum and just come back because like you were supposed to take over my job and this is kind of inconvenient mm. for me, right? but Max refused. So how did this poet extraordinaire and moderately good actor become the subject of a science podcast? Well, because of a woman, of course. Hmm. Max met Helene Pettenkoffer, the daughter of another of Max's uncles, and he wanted to marry her yes they were cousins it wasn't as icky listen it was it it was done at the time we zero stars today but it was a thing (laughs) at the time okay so like i mean we've
1: talked again we've i just just, guys like you gotta stop marrying your cousins even
0: even the pope would have signed off on this one well how far removed were they it was it was it was another one of his uncle's daughters so his Mm. dad
1: feels just a lot close that's real Mm. close that's first cousin business it is i'm sorry i mean first cousin business is a big thumbs down i mean look i'm not saying like ain't like queen didn't queen victoria wasn't uh what's his face albert her first cousin yep i think so yeah i think so but like you know again you passed on um hemophilia to all your kids so like good job good job so
0: so maybe you want to just have more genetic diversity i think that we would we would agree with that but he did not so okay fine so he's gonna marry his cousin his first he's
1: gonna marry his his first first cousin cousin. okay great is she she like 14 or is she like a normal age no she's like a normal age too okay good so he did not marry his
0: child who was also his cousin like there is no none of that no, so no again, child
1: cousin bride okay just a, just a cousin bride
0: just a cousin bride so again he manages to not be a complete bs person because lots of people married their cousins at the time and she was not a child so yay okay but she's and she said oh my gosh of course I'll marry you but not if you're an actor because like actors are poor so you know like you need a job and so he said okay fine I guess I'll go back to school and finish the whole chemistry thing and he was like real sulky about it but helene kind of got uncle franz and max back together she kind of helped them repair their relationship and max went back to school and did a lot of chemistry but he also worked in medicine and uncle franz initially wanted max to also be court apothecary someday and to do that you needed a medical degree with your chemistry you couldn't just be a chemist and go be court apothecary you had to be like a doctor too In 1843, Max finished his degree and was a doctor of medicine and surgery. His thesis, interestingly, was on a plant that when prepared and used properly could help with, among other things, cholera. Or it was hoped that was the case. When Max was completing his thesis, he extracted resin from the leaves of this plant and self-experimented with it. He found that it induced vomiting, quickened the pulse, and caused profuse sweating. So it sounds pretty poisonous to me. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I feel like if you ingest something that makes you puke and have a fever and your heart race, it's maybe a substance you don't want in your body, but put it in your satchel that Max was completely willing to be all in where self-experimenting is concerned. It might come up later. So Max has his degree, but he can't be court apothecary like Uncle Franz originally wanted. His uncle wasn't having it because Max had been an actor, and maybe just being a doctor was a more appropriate profession for someone who had once been in show business. Ew. It feels like Uncle Franz was a bit petty, but I don't know. In any case, Max couldn't be court apothecary and he didn't have, quote, the talent or the inclination for practicing medicine, according to one author. So what was he to do? Well, he went to Würzburg to do physiological chemistry research with the man who essentially invented the discipline, Josef Scher. I'm going to skip over a lot of the work that he did there because that kind of is more toward science. I don't know if Bren is going to cover that, but it really none of it's really important to like his biology. On a personal note, Max worked under some of the most influential and brilliant scientists of the time, including Justus von Liebig, who is one of the founders of organic chemistry. But as awesome as this time in his life was, the bane of all researchers, lack of funding, would disrupt his endeavors. Not only did the funding for his project dry up, he couldn't get another teaching position because nobody was really hiring medical chemists just then. Maybe. I mean, that could be a reason, right? I mean, that sounds sounds legit. Actually, there is a different reason and there's tea with it. And I'll tell you in a minute. So put that in your satchel. Put that in your satchel that there was a reason he couldn't get a job and it wasn't because nobody was hiring. So in this time, in the interim, he did lad work at a local hospital in Munich for free for like six months, which was not ideal. But since he couldn't get a position in his field and he needed to make money, he just got any old odd job that he could. The job that he got happened to be at the Royal Mint and he made 60 cents a day which would be less than $40 a day now. But back then, it actually wasn't terrible money. And it was good enough that he and Helene Helene finally got married. So yay. Surprisingly, he enjoyed working at the Mint and used his chemistry prowess to improve their methods of assaying. Do you know what assaying is? Speaking of numismatists. Well, I mean, I would hope so because you're a chemist. I did not. (laughs) But assaying is determining the quality of things. And in this case, it was gold and silver because it's, you know, the mint. Basically, he figured out that a particular coin they were using had a high platinum content, which made the refiner's work really difficult. So he improved the coins and saved metal and was pretty successful there. And of course, he did his own little research projects on the side. One project was on a special kind of glass called purpurin, it's from ancient Rome and it's blood red. rich people used it for mosaics or household items why was max messing with it well a gentleman by the name of king ludwig of bavaria was really interested in it he was building a reconstruction of a pompeian villa and he needed the glass for accuracy
1: is this the same crazy one who like drowned himself in the lake or whatever we're coming to that oh okay
0: is it the same Mm, maybe okay the problem was that nobody knew how Romans had made this glass. So Max rediscovered how it was done, and the king was thrilled. Now, I'm going I'm to connect some dots for you. Remember how I told you that nobody was hiring medical chemists for university jobs? hmm Okay, that wasn't true. Max had trouble getting a job in his field because the minister of state at the time was a guy named Carl von Abel. Carl had several positions in the government under King Ludwig, and this was one of them. But Carl was a jerk. He was involved in a duel when he insulted his predecessor, basically messed around and found out with a lot of people, if you know what I'm saying, lots Mm -hmm. of drama. Mm -hmm. And Max wasn't on good terms with Carl. So it made it hard to convince Carl, who was in Mm. charge of state universities. Mm-hmm. that the university of munich needed a medical chemist position and max himself should be the one filling it but mm-hmm. carl messed with the wrong person when he opposed the naturalization of king ludwig's mistress lola montez she was a dancer and an actress before she Uh-oh. was the king's girlfriend Oh, Uh-oh. so lola was very influential and the very Bamberi- Lola. she was a show no girl That's exactly who she was. And if you're not singing Copacabana right now, then what are you doing with your life? Copacabana. Amazing. The Bavarian people hated her guts, though. But Mm -hmm. King Ludwig did not care. He made her a Bavarian citizen, made her a countess, and set up an annuity for her. Oh, man. Yeah. Carl and his people objected to this move by the king, and... King Ludwig was so irritated, he fired the ball and did as he pleased. Which, yeah, like, I'm going going I feel like him. this is the same crazy King Ludwig that I'm thinking of, but okay. It is. It very much is. And okay. it, it, it ended badly for him, which is another story we won't tell yeah. here. But guys, look up King Ludwig of Bavaria. I mean, did his family all marry their first cousins too? Because probably... I feel like they married siblings, maybe it was that bad. Oh, oh, because you had legitimate okay. madness. I mean, we had a real, we had, a, we had a, the family tree. I mean, was that's why all the Caesars were be. insane
1: because they'd be marrying moms and sisters and all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, right? You are not supposed to just you should keep all that. your genes
0: together. Facts. Don't do it. That's facts. Don't do okay. that. So. What's awesome is that somebody knew, because Karl got fired, somebody knew was the Minister of State, and King Ludwig had put someone in power who knew Max and liked him, thanks to the Fancy Glass Project. So in 1847, Max officially got to be a professor of medical chemistry. That lasted until his uncle Franz died in 1851, and the new king, Max II, appointed Max Court Apothecary. What happened to Ludwig? Forced abdication. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, told you it would go he back. He was crazy. Him. He was totally nuts, though. Anyway, Max II is in charge now. He just
1: went to New Schwanstein and like lived out his life until he drowned or something. I don't know.
0: Something like that. It was a it was a wild story. It wasn't a good end.
1: No, it was, it was sad. not. It
0: was. It's actually sad. Like it. It sad. is kind of sad that he went crazy enough that they removed him from his in charge state and shipped him off to.
1: Well, I mean, he shouldn't be in charge if he's mentally unwell, but, like, it's just, it's sad,
0: like, just his life, the way it ends, it's just, it's not a happy story. Hey, listen, the story of royals are mostly tragic stories, though. Being royal is not all it's cracked up to be. But Max II is the captain now, and our buddy Max is working as court apothecary. His career is on the rise. Thanks to a horrible cholera epidemic in 1854, he gets appointed to the Cholera Commission. And I'm not talking about any of that. Okay, good. So, no. yeah. Let's fast forward to the end of Max's career. Okay. He started out a lowly petting but thanks to the amazing science that he did, he got to add Bon to his name, Fon, which made him oh. nobility and he was referred to as excellency. Ooh. I. No, I would like to be referred to as Excellency. (laughs) By this time, it's 1896, and Max is almost 80. So he starts retiring. He gives up teaching, resigns as court apothecary. He spends his summers on the Starnberger Sea and his winters in Munich. Uh, He was still active, and he would row his boat around the lake and go for walks in the forest. Hmm. He was nearly alone, however. He and Helene had five children, four sons and a daughter, during their life together, so it seems like it was a happy marriage. Two sons and one daughter died before 1890. Mm. Super sad. Max's oldest son was a gifted medical student, but he had died in 1896 of tuberculosis.
1: Okay. So
0: Max was cared for by his remaining son and daughter-in-law. Now, he had some pretty serious mental health issues at that point and was struggling with depression. He complained of being tired and he said he was losing his memory and his ability to concentrate. So in 1901, he felt like he was of no use to the world and his depression worsened. So, Mm -hmm. and this is, this is pretty rough guys. So, you know, if you're kind of sensitive about these kind of issues, maybe, maybe just skip ahead a little bit. He got a severe throat infection and was in a lot of pain, which sent him further into a downward spiral. Right. Now at his autopsy, they would find chronic meningitis with calcification. Ooh. Yeah. Symptoms of chronic meningitis include headache, stiffer sore neck like a throat infection, Mm -hmm. hearing loss, memory loss, and brain damage. Mm -hmm. What is it caused by? Usually the chronic form is caused by a slow-growing fungus or microbacterium tuberculosis. Oh. Since his son had died of that, I'd say that was probably the culprit. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but his illness was worsening they didn't this was after he died when they found out that this it was meningitis so when he was alive though his illness was worsening he couldn't sleep and he was distressed about the fact that his brain wasn't what it used to be sure so one night after his daughter-in-law put him down to bed he waited a couple of hours and then used a revolver he had bought himself to shoot himself in the head oh Oh, man. man yeah it's really tragic it was really sad like just how old was he He was in his 80s when that happened. He was in his 80s. So, yeah, pretty rough. He was buried in a cemetery in Munich, and a memorial to him was erected in a public square in the city. So, it's a very sad end to actually a very interesting person. Yeah. So, that's what I've got on his bio. So, from all of that, you know, he I I had no reason, as we said, to use the word goblin when referring to him. So, you know, he's not a BS person. So nope. why, oh, why did he end up on our BS episode? Are you ready to tell us? Uh, sure. All right, let's take a break and we'll get into it. Okay, Rena, we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder.
1: Yeah, we definitely do. It's really great. The whole idea of Proton Guru is academic accessibility. So, at protonguru.com, you can find a free full organic chemistry course, a free MCAT organic course, and diversity modules related to organic
0: chemistry. The cool new thing that just got added might be the best part though. It's called MCAT Ladder, and it's an MCAT test prep course like no other. It's prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really wanted to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how thorough it is with exceptional concept explanations and visual learning, plus questions that are challenging, like real MCAT questions.
1: The MCAT ladder is only $500.
0: And if that's not enough, they have a scholarship program, too. So go on over to ProtonGuru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT ladder... It's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. Now I managed to leave out a huge part of Max's work and his contributions mm-hmm. to science. So, Brenna, please tell us what Max did and why he ended up in a BS episode. Okay,
1: so I gotta circle back to a topic that we've we've talked about before. We didn't go into like all the details. And I won't even do that today, but we'll just, I need some background, uh, on where we are in terms of germ theory. Okay. Okay. So remember for a long time, people had all kinds of ideas about how people got sick. Yes. I mean, like we had the humor, we, we went through it. We've, we've touched on a lot of them, right. And we're kind of somewhere By the time we get to Max, which is like the mid-19th century, well, he's in the mid-19th century or so, but like it's probably a little earlier than that. But Mm -hmm. miasma theory has been a persisting theory on illness. So we've talked about it, but miasma theory is just basically the idea that epidemic diseases like cholera, among a plethora of others, of course, but I'm mentioning cholera for a reason, Mm -hmm. were caused by bad air, right? Poisonous fumes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I read in one source, It was thought that the bad air was caused by, quote, decomposing animal flesh, effluents, cesspools, and rotting vegetable matter, which, to be honest, all of those things are gross and do smell bad and have potential to have bugs and fungus and bacteria and maggots and all kinds of nasty things. But does that cause poisonous fumes that infect everyone? Well, no, right? Mm -hmm. I know. If your child goes and plays with roadkill, that could lead to disease especially armadillos guys keep your kids away from armadillos do They're not touch leprosy. armadillos
0: otherwise you're gonna get leprosy
1: Kansas disease whatever sorry sorry but if you walk by roadkill remember we were hiking that one time and we walked you had to take that path across that went by the road and there was that dead raccoon and I couldn't like
0: not look at it
1: it, it was really it was definitely a,
0: a defining feature of your childhood I would say it's something you would talk about was like, oh,
1: yeah. yeah um yeah you know. um but anyway like, you're not going to catch anything. Like, I've walked by the dead ro- you know, the dead raccoon on the side of the road, and it's not like I caught tuberculosis, you know, like I didn't right. catch anything. Right. But think of these people in the 19th century with way less technology, research, etc. And to be mm-hmm. honest, miasma theory lasted so long because it was something that explained what people observed or what they right. thought they observed, right? Like, if you live in a poor area with a bad sewage system, no good source of fresh water, lots of trash, lots of whatever, refuse... Those areas did tend to get hit harder when disease came to town, right? Sure. I mean, it's not that the upper echelons didn't get affected as well, but like there, when cholera outbreaks hit, when different outbreaks hit, where do they normally tend to hit? The slums. Probably some of the poor, dirty, dirtier parts of the city, right? Yeah. So there's a guy, Sir John Simon, who was a public health reformer, said that epi- epidemic diseases do in fact favor excrement sodden in earth, excrement reeking air, and excrement tainted water.
0: Well, yeah, so, I mean, if yeah. there's poop in the air and in the water, I feel like that you're <laughs> going to get sick, but not for the reason they thought.
1: Yeah. yeah. So as we move forward in time, there kind of gets to be two extremes in understanding of epidemic diseases and their spread. And so um, I read this in one of my sources that kind of broke them apart into, there were localists who thought basically you had to be directly exposed to mi- miasmatic, miasmatic particles like eating contaminated food or inhaling particles of it by a cesspool or whatever. Contagionists, on the other hand, said that infectious or infected people spread it through their breath, sweat, poop, skin, clothes, etc. So from what I read, most doctors of the time kind of fell in somewhere between those two extremes. Um, I mean, obviously there were those extremes, but a lot of doctors, I think, kind of eh, wavered in between. But there's no general consensus on how these types of diseases actually spread. Okay, so I actually, um, it's weird because sometimes I read, some places I read that Max was a believer in miasma theory, but I don't think he was. He kind of rejected miasma theory, and he was kind of on board with the idea that specific germs could cause epidemics. For example, and we're going to keep using cholera as an example, um, if you get cholera, it's a certain microorganism that you get in your system, and it does its damage, and then you excrete it out. Okay, so he does say, like, okay, there's a specific thing that could cause it. But Max has a bit of an interesting spin on this, and he, it's, it got described as the XYZ theory. Okay, so I'm just going to read a quote from one of my main sources, because I feel like it just describes XYZ theory without me trying to paraphrase it, but okay. I just want us to understand it. So if I talk about XYZ, we know what we're talking about. Okay, So here's kind of what he was, what Max's theory was. It was impossible for someone to fall sick with cholera unless the hypothetical germ called X was present in their intestines. But unlike Koch, yes, we'll be talking about Bob Koch here in a little bit. He believed that although X was a necessary cause of cholera, it was not a sufficient one. In order for X to cause illness, he argued that it first had to ripen in an appropriate medium, which he called Y. The best form of Y, Pettenkoffer said, comprises moist soil, neither too sodden nor too parched, and containing plenty of rotting organic matter, such as human or animal effluents. Once bathed in Y for a few days, the cholera germ's X matured and began producing a dangerous substance called Z. Only having consumed food, drunk water, or inhaled air containing a germ in this stage, the Z stage, would the victim's intestines come into contact with Z and full-blown cholera ensue? Crucially, Pettenkoffer was a localist to the extent that he did not believe in direct person-to-person contagion. Having passed through one victim's body, a germ then had to spend, had then to spend some time in an appropriate soil medium before it could become infectious once more. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Cool. So basically you have cholera, you're not going to give cholera to your family by coughing on them. You're gonna go poop out the germs, and then those germs are gonna muck about for a bit, and then your family would go breathe in or ingest those Z part the Z particles, right? Okay. You're gonna like poop out X, but then X has to go sit in Y for a bit to turn into Z, and then your family would have to like breathe in Z to get okay. sick again. Okay. Does that makes su- I mean yeah, does it make sense? No, I
0: mean no, it doesn't make any sense like, at all because I understand microbes and right, 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 bacteria, right, right. but I understand his process and his chain of thought. Yes. Okay. And obviously, like, right,
1: we know this is not correct. But interestingly, Max's theories actually did play a role in public health, despite being uh, somewhat erroneous. So places like Lubeck, Berlin, and Munich all started actually proactively reforming their sanitation measures, in particular Munich, which is, like, close to where Max, is, Max at this point is in Munich, right? Yeah. Um, so because he said that X needed Y to become Z people, I guess, thought, well, let's keep Y to a minimum, meaning let's keep things cleaner, let's have less organic effluence and rotten matter so you can and break cleaner water and stuff so that X can't go become toxic Z, okay? yeah. So they did redid sewage pipes, they redid water system lines, they cleaned it up, they brought in fresh sources of water, like, and all of that's really good and actually will definitely go a long way in helping prevent development and spread of a lot of diseases like all those are very good public health reforms Yeah, because dirty water is responsible for a lot of bad epidemics like all throughout history And, and still to this day so yeah yes right dirty water is still a bad thing and it's still it's why we still have like you know help pay for installation of new clean water wells uh in africa or in developing countries because yes sanitation and clean water are very good things so, yeah, Max's theory was a little out there, but it made sense to people in that, well, it, it kind of explains some of what we observe and, okay, well, let's let's clean things up so that we maybe don't have it becoming the toxic thing, okay? Yeah. And I actually read that a, an historian of public health wrote that Munich became one of the healthiest cities because of Max, whom he deemed an energetic hygienist. Oh. Yeah, so he's kind of um, a hygienist or dealing with public health before public health was really like a... Before it was like a thing. Thing, right? Okay, but let's, I mean, so he's doing great things. So you're like, what is BS about this? Yeah. I mean, other than like, right, his theory was wrong. But as we've said with lots of scientists, it's fine if your theory is it turns out to be wrong because that's what science is. But let's talk about Bob Koch and cholera. Okay. Okay. Let's. So we talked about Bob, mm, I don't know, a handful of weeks ago. And we didn't really spend much time talking about Bob and his work with cholera. Like we mentioned he traveled around and he studied it quite a bit, but we didn't like go in depth. Okay. Right. And even if we talked about it, it's still kind of refresh. But anyway, what we want to know about Bob, there was a big cholera outbreak in Egypt, which is what led Bob to Egypt, and from there he moved to India, and the very abbreviated version of Bob's work with cholera is that he kept finding the same comma-shaped bacillus in all the cholera victims he studied. So he wrote back to Germany that, quote, it can now be taken as conclusive that the bacillus found in the intestine of cholera patients is indeed the cholera pathogen. So Koch is basically like patting himself on the back, like, hey, my theory about germs is right. Forget asthma theory, all that. Like I have identified this cholera pathogen, okay? Yeah. But he goes back to Germany and actually met with Max um, because Max is older than him. He's a respected scientist. Mm-hmm. And Max is willing to concede that Bob found a specific cholera microbe, but he still insists that his, his XYZ theory is correct. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, great. Like, that's X, fine. But then it needs to sit around in Y for a while before someone takes in it as Z, right? Like, okay, so he's yes. not saying that that can't be the pathogen that can cause it. But again, he's going to say it has to go into the soil. It has to do Perflate, its whatever. It Z, whatever. So anytime a new scientific idea is introduced, there are still plenty of people who don't think it's correct. You have to study it. You have to prove things, right? You have to show why your theory is better and so forth. So Bob wanted to do more to prove that his theory was correct. So Bob cultivated his own bacteria and injected it into animals. Rabbits, any pigs, cows, etc. None of these animals actually got sick. So Bob just decided to conclude, well, apparently only humans can get sick from cholera.
0: Uh, Which is a big leap to make. It is. Well, from human cholera. I mean, because there, as we know now, there's more than, I mean, there's lots of bacilli. bacilli Sure. Claro. He didn't know that though.
1: Yeah. So then he sets out to look at the data differently. And I'm really, really, really and apologies, greatly simplifying the story. But Bob does a study in an Indian village, like in India, where 17 people in the village died from cholera, but everyone else was fine. But they all drank out of the same water tank. And so when he studied the water in the tank, guess what? He found his little bacilli bacilli? bacilli. So he was like, see, I'm right. I'm right. Like, here's all these little microbes floating around and 17 people drank from this tank and they all died so like i'm right but max is like yo only 17 of those villagers actually got sick and died so obviously most of those little x germs didn't spend enough time in y producing the z toxin and the people who got sick must have gotten that part that spent enough time getting toxic right and obviously those people that died didn't make everyone sick from their excreted germs so my dude like i'm right right so Which, like bob's like, trying to I say can't... oh well i found i found the microbes in the water but max is like okay but only 17 people died if if that's what causes it then everybody who ingests that must must get sick if your theory's right but if my theory is right that makes more sense that only some people got sick and died
0: but see, that's not how immunity works. And, you know, that's... But well, we haven't been but we there haven't yet. got there. Right. We, we haven't got there. We have no idea. Yet. They had He's, no idea. We'll
1: actually mention a couple names here, but there's somebody um, we'll talk about who's like a huge per- name in immunology and the understanding of that. But mm-hmm. so there's debate still. It's It's, you know, again, if we take just, if we don't know anything else and we're these people looking at this data, it's not crazy what Max is saying.
0: No, it it makes a lot of sense. Like I would totally, if it was me, I would, he, he is actually making less of a leap than Bob made saying, well, guess animals can't get cholera. Like, like Max is following a formula here. Sure.
1: So let's get to the most interesting part of the story, which is maybe what people think is BS. I don't know. I have my own thoughts about this. We'll talk about legacy, but it's October 7th, 1892, Max 74, you guys. I don't think I realized that until I really, like, read that again. Hamburg is in the throes of a cholera epidemic. Mm -hmm. And Max is still trying to prove his theory about cholera. Mm -hmm. And I read this, I read this quote about the incident, and I just, I liked it. So, Koch sent him a tube that swarmed with wee virulent comma microbes. And so Pettenkoffer swallowed the entire contents of the tube and said, now let us see if I get cholera. The failure of the mad pet and coffer to come down with cholera may, remains to this day an enigma. It's a quote from the Microbe Hunters from like 1926 by Paul de Creef, but I'm so upset. I just
0: thought that that quote was funny. I'm so upset by by all of that right now. I just can't. I, I, I just like that cannot. he
1: called them the wee
0: virulent comma microbes. It oh yeah, that's obviously the best cute. part. Yes,
1: it's very Thanks. cute. Um, but another source I read said that Max swallowed one cubic centimeter, which is a milliliter, of bullion laced with cholera bacilli. And to make things even more scientific because Bob, so Bob had claimed that the stomach acid might kill the bacteria. Like, well, maybe people don't get sick because like the stomach is acidic and it might kill the bacteria. Max took some sodium bicarb to neutralize stomach acid and then chased it with the cholera juice.
0: Oh, that's terrible. This is terrible. Well, I
1: don't, I don't know how like much you can like actually neutralize your stomach by doing that. I mean, when we take antacids and we take things like we are trying to neutralize some of the acid, but like, you're not going to turn your stomach into not an acidic pH. Right. You're not going to get to seven. <laughs> you're not going to get seven, but you okay. know what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like drinking acidy aquafina water, you know? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, so actually it was, now I read, again, It was, like I read a one, one source made it sound like they all kind of did this together. One source sounded like they kind of did it separately, but it was actually Max and four other students, two doctors and two other guys named Rudolf Emmerich and Ellie Mechnikov, which Ellie Mechnikov, I think actually becomes kind of like a big name in immunology. And I'm pretty yeah. sure it's, that's the name, um, yeah. but they all sampled the cholera juice soup water what i don't even know i don't know just smoothie the
0: was the stuff
1: was it a smoothie i don't know i I don't know so max supposedly wrote back to bob hair doctor pettenkoffer presents his compliments to hair doctor professor coke and thanks him for the flask containing the so-called cholera vibrios which he was kind enough to send hair doctor pettenkoffer has now drunk the entire contents and is happy to be able to inform hair doctor professor coke that he remains in his usual good health feels really sassy it was really sassy that's totally sassy except for one source i read said that max did have abdominal colic from gas pains and diarrhea that lasted a week but he didn't become seriously
0: ill so well not everybody who gets cholera gets as seriously ill as we all think of cholera some people just have the runs for a day you know well uh,
1: yes so also
0: this source the same source said
1: that he had quote An enormous proliferation of the cholera bacteria in the stools,
0: which I I do not want to know why they know that. I don't want to know. That's probably reason number 457,000 why I have no desire to be a doctor or a nurse for any reason, or a lab technician, because somebody's got to scrape up some of that poop and smear it on a slide and then look at it. And I'm not doing that. I'm simply not. I mean, my guess is Max probably did it himself. I'm 100% sure he did it himself. He was the one who drank it to begin with. But it's weird.
1: Yeah, I just, mm, no, mm -mm, no, thank you. No, thank you. But it's pretty likely that all of these guys at some point were exposed to cholera, maybe Mm -hmm. a weak strain, but just cholera, which then provided immunity needed for when they drank their cholera juice, right? Mm -hmm. Again, we don't really have that concept of how do you build immunity and why your body can fight things off and stuff. And I did read that Max and his daughter did come down with cholera during an outbreak in Munich at an earlier time. So at least in Max's case, like, he certainly was exposed to the cholera-causing bacteria before.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But if you are Bob trying to claim that you have determined that this particular microbe causes cholera in only humans, Max is going to making you look silly at this point. Like, you can't make it happen in animals. Max just drank your juice and he's fine. So... You know, now to add insult to injury, Max studied average groundwater levels across Bavaria. I think he did this in Nuremberg too, Um, but basically charts out the areas where there's a medium amount of groundwater levels. So earlier I said um, his XYZ theory was that Y needed to be not too wet and not too dry, right? Um, And so he's looking kind of for that in-between amount of groundwater levels. Well, the ones that see the horrible cholera outbreaks are where those groundwater levels are where he thinks they should be, meaning it just adds to his theory about the soil affecting cholera, and he even challenged others to prove him wrong. Like, fine, show me a residential area that's very dry or very wet where there's a cholera epidemic. Turns out nobody could really do that. Anytime anyone found one that they thought was maybe like, oh, this is whatever, Max would be like, Oh, nope, that data is old. If I go right now and study that, like, you know, and he would prove it wrong. Wow. So truthfully, there is something about moist, but not too wet soil conditions that do actually help cholera thrive and multiply. I, it's it, there's soil chemistry. It's, I don't, I didn't look into this, but what I do get from this is that basically like, you know, if science is about making observations and hypothesizing and finding evidence for that hypothesis max is like right there right his theory fits in line with what was what he was being observed what he was observing he's like look if it's really really dry like you know we don't really see cholera outbreaks if it's super extra floody we don't really see it it's just kind of those in between whatever Mm -hmm. so it's not like he's some crazy nutcase making up crazy theories so i mean i think he gets a reputation of like oh that crazy guy that drank cholera but like so far all the things kind of line again not with what we understand today but in context of what they understood at the time Mm -hmm. you know now by the late 1870s um bob's work with other stuff because you know see the brawl okay yes elevated him to like the top ranks of awesome prussian scientists the kaiser Mm -hmm. loved him he had served in that stupid franco press war all that so like politically too he was poised to be more respected listened to etc because of all this other work even though he's a total miss on this collar well not a total miss i mean he did find the micro but like he's having a hard time proving his theory is right yes so max and his work kind of fall to the bottom of the stack you know just Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have the same amount of prestige and political you know whatever I also read a really interesting take on why Koch's theories were so popular in Prussia during this time, and it boils down to, this is super, I would go down this rabbit hole, but it does get into a lot of political and socio-whatevers of the time, but Koch's ideas gave the government a reason to interfere and control the people through public health measures. Max was anti quarantine Bob was pro quarantine The government liked the idea of being able to control the masses with public health measures.
0: So food for thought. My jaw is literally on the floor from that. I'm going to like, I'm going to have to ponder that. I'm going to have to sit with it for several days. Guys, like what a, what, what a wild theory. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Food for thought. Just Food for thought. Now,
1: I want to also say that while I spent most of my time here talking about Max's work with cholera and like that, you know, epidemiology type stuff, he did other BA science stuff. And I can't go into all of it because we just don't have time. But um, just a couple examples that I found really interesting. He apparently developed a qualitative test for bile acids, and it was known as the Pettenkoffer bile acid test. So wow. bile acids are, sorry, bile acids are something produced by your liver and so if you're trying to screen a bunch of things related to the liver, it's something that can be tested. Biosalts that build up become things like gallstones. And Ooh, yeah. Such. So not good, good stuff. To yeah. yeah. Um, he discovered creatinine, not creatine, creatinine, which is a, uh, was at the time a new amino acid in urine. So creatinine is something that can be tested for still today to assess kidney function. You've probably yeah. heard of it. You, or yeah. you might have seen that in a panel or whatever. Yeah. Um. But he apparently discovered that. Wow. I didn't go. I didn't go much more into detail, but I, I didn't research that. But apparently he did. And he was also interested in indoor air quality. And today there's a, still a measurement of CO2 levels known as the Pettenkofer number. Um. Which again we'll talk more hygiene in the legacy because it's okay. kind of interesting. Okay. But here's something else I read that I absolutely love about Max. He was a chemist who studied the elements. Mm -hmm. As the understanding of the elements developed, obviously we had a lot of gaps in our knowledge of what we today have on the periodic table, Mm -hmm. right? So initially there was a theory about triads of elements. I don't want to go too much into it, but basically like you could predict stuff in these like triads of elements. But Max didn't like the limitation of the triad theory. So he spent time looking at connections between elements and he argued that the weights of different elements in a group were separated by multiples of a certain number, which that number varied depending on the group. But basically he proposed the idea that you could use that theory of multiples of constant differences to calculate weights of elements that otherwise might be hard to measure. So what is wild to me is that Max actually is mentioned by Mendeleev himself in his articles as someone who had influenced his work on the periodic table. Like we always credit Mendeleev as the developer of the periodic table, but I think it's wicked that Max played a role in shaping his ideas about how to fill in the gaps on the periodic table, because that's what we credit him for, right? Like he organized this thing and then he predicted that if this element was here, then the next element did, right? Like we talk about how his he systematically kind of helped figure these things out and he was actually pretty accurate. Max played a role in shaping his ideas about how to
0: do that. That's absolutely BA. That's absolutely, that, in, that right there is enough to earn him a spot in a regular BA episode. I know. Isn't that so cool? I didn't know that. When you started talking about multiples, I was thinking, wait a minute, this sounds very much like groups- and yeah. you know, rows and columns. And I, I, and I
1: apologize stuff. to the person or people who developed the triad theory because they also at least were onto something, right? And I didn't mm-hmm. write their names down when I read it, but um, yeah, I just I love that. I love that. So I love that journey for him. I do, um, we as do, as we,
0: we love that journey.
1: Love that journey. So I know that wasn't like a long time spent on his work outside of the whole cholera thing, but I just did want to mention that there is a lot more to Max than I think might normally get discussed if he gets discussed at all, which I think is a perfect place to take a quick break because I want to talk about just what is BS about Max's story and what is his legacy and what do we think about it?
0: I agree. Let's take a break. I believe here now we have some discussing to do because Max got some stuff really wrong in terms of his scientific theories, but does that make him a fool? Does that make him a BA who was doing his best? John Waller, the author of one of my sources, says that, quote, The history of scientific discovery needs to be contextualized. Scientists that were proven wrong were rarely dullards. They were competent scientists and their theories were good efforts for their time, end quote. So I feel like that applies to Max. I mean, it seems like the real BS is that people who are doing their legitimate best have shade thrown on them later because we learned more after they did their work. If they had access to our knowledge, they would likely not make those conclusions that they had made that give them this reputation of not knowing what they were talking about. So, I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: So I actually have another quote from that same book that you quoted from. Far from being an act of puerile folly, Pettenkoffer's self-experiment should be seen for what it really was, one of the critical moments leading to the birth of the modern science of immunology. So, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of this guy till you told me, you know normally, this is normally how it goes. I mean, I've come up with some. There are lots on the list that are like ones I've suggested, but it's yeah. been a while. So even if I suggested them, I probably don't remember them. But I'm like, oh, I don't know who this guy is. Um, and at first, I thought maybe the bs was like he was drinking the science because we always say like you shouldn't drink the science. And still, yes. I recommend don't drink the science because, you know, whatever but um this that book that we both quote it's called leaps in the dark but um you know he maybe had a reputation or he gets like oh he's crazy he's mad he's eccentric he's mentally unstable or whatever and to be honest his ending was really sad and he obviously struggled with a mental health issue which whatever we all like we all know people have like it's just that's what it is but Was he just, like, some crazy scientist? I mean, he's not the first guy to try stuff on himself. Like, tons of BAs try stuff on themselves. Um, Yeah. uh, Somebody has to try the science. And in some ways, ethically, right? Like, I'd rather you try out a drug or a vaccine or whatever else on yourself because randomly making, forcing other people to try it um, is super bad. That's been done in the past. mm In the
0: kind of recent past in some cases which is really bad i mean they tuskegee is yeah that's, is that's the, what i was is the best of. example of that yeah. i think which was horrifying It's horrifying
1: horrifying right so um you know his quote that we started out with like he's gonna die for science i mean at least he has the idea of like well i want to know answers so this is how i'm gonna get answers um, so again, you, you know, we don't love eating, drinking, doing, trying the science on yourself. But again, some, at some point, so, something has to, somebody has to try something, right? Someone has to be first. Um, so I don't know. I think Max was just really convinced his theory was right and wanted to prove it. And so he did what he thought was best to make it happen. Like, you know, it was probably wildly irresponsible to drink cholera juice or soup or whatever it was. I'd but do we trash his name and drag him because some of his theories weren't right like the xyz theory is not how cholera works no right people still respect all kinds of scientists throughout the centuries, even though they had things wrong i mean there were lots of famous scientists who believed in the four humors mm-hmm. and we don't go oh my gosh that's so stupid they believed in that i mean right. it was dumb but like we don't think that they're less of a, an important scientist because they also happen to have beliefs and theories that for that time made sense to them based on what they knew and didn't know or whatever Mm -hmm. and then that leaves in the dark book also brought up a really good point too is that in the 19th century you have all these fields like really taking off like bacteriology epidemiology immunology Mm -hmm. etc but it does take a few decades before they all start talking to each other yeah in recognizing that like you need all those fields together to really get the full picture of the information you need to fight control manage whatever you want to call it epidemic epidemic de- diseases management of public health whatever but all of them go together and taken on their own that doesn't necessarily give you the full picture like yeah. did coke develop or find that comma shaped bacillus that is important, or bacillus, that's important for, like, this is what causes cholera. Yes. But then he also needed to go beyond that and understand things outside of just, here's that one microbe, Mm -hmm. right, before it all kind of gets put together. So I do, you know, I do think Max contributed to that advancement. And I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but another article I read said that Max is, quote, a pathfinder and pioneer of modern hygienic science. He basically advocated constantly for clean air, clean water, clean soil, good clothing, good nutrition. Like, yeah, you know what? If we want to not be sick all the time, if we have clean water and soil that's not covered in excrement that we're playing in or kids are playing in and we have warm clothing and we get proper nutrition, like all of that will be good for keeping us healthy. Um, that's a That will lead to a better and healthier way of life. He's right? Right. And so thanks to his push for hygiene, as we discussed, there were a lot of reforms around this time, um, like in Munich, like we talked about. He also became the first director of the Royal Testing Institute for Food and Drugs. Like, I guess, like an OG FDA almost, right? Yeah. In this case, the purpose here was to study different components of food and beverages, evaluate what happened during different cooking methods, study how storage, sealing of foods, et cetera, affected their shelf life, for lack of a better word. Sure. And then, um, of course, he actually established his own hygiene programs in medical schools. And he eventually had his own institute for hygiene. Wow. Wow. So that, which uh, neither of us mentioned, but he did, um, had a, he had his own institute for hygiene. Um, and I think that just shows how committed he was to his cause and, um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, he's, sure, he's the guy that drank the cholera, but he's so much more, and I just, I think he's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, I think the BS is that his his reputation is he's the guy that drank cholera, but then the rest of that story is he didn't get it, and, yeah. and yeah. all these other things, because yeah. I feel like, because we, we've talked about this before, you and I are of the, are, are in the Category of people who believe that science has to be observable and repeatable, Mm -hmm. and when you observe something, you hypothesize about why that thing you observed happened. You run experiments to test that thing, and then you draw your conclusions. That is how science works. We that is what we believe. Why we teach you know third
1: graders the scientific method, right, and make them do science fair projects? Because if if
0: I if I can't if I can't see it and I can't repeat it, I don't consider it to be scientific you can have lots of other names for it but real at the end of the day good science has that observable and repeatable component to it mm-hmm. and max was doing that he was observing these things mm-hmm. he experimented with it he came up with a conclusion about it and he he was able to fit that the the observations to his conclusion and he it, it worked together right. at a basic level that's good science right. So even now, though- did
1: him not getting cholera because one time he drank cholera juice prove that his theory is correct? No, because you'd have to you repeat that several
0: times, but you need a bigger sample size. He sure. would have to repeatedly drink cholera and be exposed right. to it over time, which is how they ended up. That's how they kind of end up doing clinical trials. You know what I mean? Like that. That's that's that whole idea of we need to test this a whole bunch of times, get a whole bunch of people with tuberculosis. You know what I mean? So. It is, he He is. Once, it, once again, the BS was not that he drank cholera. That's not even what it is. The BS mm-hmm. is that his reputation is just that because he really was a lot more. And especially yeah. with the hygiene thing because it's so interesting that he was such a proponent of hygiene because while he was alive, the Crimean War was going on for part of that time. Mm-hmm. And we will be covering a BA who had a lot to say about hygiene and the Crimean War and actually ended, will end up proving Max's hygiene efforts, statistically proving that he's right about it. Mm-hmm. So his work in, in in hygiene was super important, mm-hmm. um, but he was just in a different part of Europe than mm-hmm. this other part of, that was the things that were right. going on in this other part. So again, if it was happening nowadays, there would have been a lot of like, information sharing and, and you know, more access to more people's ideas, but we will be covering another BA in a couple of weeks that, like I said, proved Max's theories on hygiene because he was absolutely right about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, for me, self-experimenting is ridiculous. I know that that's a hot take, but it stresses me out. And so when we were setting up this episode, I told you like back when we were deciding we wanted to cover him this season. I told you I was going to do a mini episode and see what other kind of self experimenters were out there because I know that there are more.
1: Again, yeah, We've talked about others. I mean,
0: yeah, definitely a lot, definitely a lot. And so I wanted, I wanted to kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit. So on Patreon this week, there will be a mini episode on the people who experimented on themselves with either radical procedures that will make your hair stand on end quite literally (laughs) then there are people who experimented by giving themselves diseases and people who experimented by giving themselves a untested cure so (laughs) yeah which is super cool so um we will we will be discussing other people like max who have good reputations despite the self-experimenting so So, yeah, I think he's an outlier um, a little bit in that way. But, yeah, he's definitely a B.A. And, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Sources? Um,
1: We've both mentioned, I know we both use Leaps in the Dark, The Making of Scientific Reputations by John Waller. Mm -hmm. Um, I only read the chapter on Pettenkoffer, but that book is fascinating, and I do actually plan at some point to read it cover to cover because I'm sure it's uh, just phenomenal Yeah. Um, because the one chapter I read was really good. I also um, have the periodic table, its story and its significance mm. to get information about Max's contributions to Mendeleev. And then Max von Pettenkoffer, pi- as a pioneer of modern hygiene and preventative medicine from environmental health, preventative medicine, blah, blah, blah. If our source librarian gets back on the job, she'll put them on Facebook. That'd be cool. But definitely I do recommend, I'm verbally recommending Leaps in the Dark by John Waller. If this kind of thing is interesting to you as uh, just a subject matter. If I do get read cover to cover, I'll do a review, you know, evil donkey review of it at some point.
0: Yeah, Leaps in the Dark was one of my best sources too. I also read Max von Pettenkoffer" by Edgar Erskine Hume it was from the 1920s and it was very interesting because again, you're reading it at a time when we don't know then what we know now. So there's lots of outdated info, but it was still, I still Mm -hmm. learned a lot from it. It was a very interesting book. Then I've got the, some websites and then the sonnet. Article, mm-hmm. Os Sonetos Químicos de Max von Pettenkofer in Revista Portuguesa de Filosofia. And that's a fascinating article, and you should definitely read it. If anybody wants, if anyone is curious, you will have to email us or Facebook mes- message us or Instagram message something. I have the German, the original German that I translated from saved. So if somebody out there wants to look at it in German Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and see if they can get a better or, you know, make it into a true English sonnet, then I will send it to you. You can have it. You don't have to go looking on this thing for it. I like, I've got it. So just Mm -hmm. let us know. Mm -hmm. But if you want to see all the other ones, go look at that article because, oh my gosh, it's really good. Um, So yeah, so I think that's, those are kind of my big sources. So I think we're ready to tease next week. Do you have a teaser? Well, I was
1: trying to find a good calculus joke, but they were all too derivative. So instead, I'll tell you that you may be infinitely impressed by our BA next week. You like that and you are
0: mad that you like it. I am mad that I like it. I'm really mad that I like it. And I, I hate that that was as good as it was. So fine, you, get, you win that one. You win, you win. That was good. That was an excellent quote. And uh, it's going to be fun. Next week, the research for next week stressed me out. It's one of the hardest researches that I've done. It might be the hardest one I've ever done.
1: Meanwhile, I'm over here loving this episode that I had to research because my part was way better
0: probably than yours. Yeah, well cuz there's there's drama and intrigue and tea and just you know it and it it was just not <laughs> my subject matter is just very boring. It's not what I would call exciting or edge of your seat kind of material. Because we're talking
1: I, math. I did mention calculus, so I mean. Mm.
0: But I am throwing in, as a bonus. Oh, no. To keep you excited, a mini brawl oh, that involved no. name-calling. No, okay. Public name-calling. It's a really good one. It's a really good mini brawl. The reason, and I think I say this, I'll I'll, I'll talk about this in the episode, but I can't, I can't cover this as a brawl just in general as an episode because one of the guys involved wasn't a scientist. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So we will get into all of that next week, but that's all I've got for today. Me too. Okay. Then until next time, live dangerously, do science.